that music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnikin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to This Show is All About You, where for the next hour we're going to uh, engage in conversation that gets us uh, past the headlines, underneath the, uh, the things we normally talk about, and hopefully uh, gives you some things to connect with, uh, even if you haven't had the same experience some things to connect with. Uh, that is the whole point of this uh, of this show. And uh, welcome back. And if you are uh, listening to this live, thank you so much for doing so. If you're listening to this as a podcast, uh, thank you so much for subscribing and for leaving a review for me. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to interact with me, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me rather easily. You can also check out more about me and my some original writing as well as information about uh, the novel that I'm pitching at wordsbyjdk.com. And uh, right at the outset, I want to make sure I thank this show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, for their generous support and belief in this program. You'll hear more about them during the commercial breaks, but I want to make sure that I thank them right here at the outset. And you can check them out and the amazing work that they do online at airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I dot org. And uh, this week, uh, yeah, the historian in me pays attention to important historical dates. And this uh, is being recorded and broadcast on June 6th of 2022, which is the 78th anniversary of the D-Day assault uh, on Normandy, France, the beginning of uh, the Allied invasion of Western Europe during World War II. That uh, is widely recognized as the beginning of the end of Nazi Germany uh, back in 1944. And I've got a guest uh, today who has a he and I share a very special experience. Uh, we tr- traveled together three years ago to uh, the 75th anniversary celebrations in both England and in Normandy for the invasion. And uh, we did it for a very interesting reason, which we'll get to uh, in just a bit. And I'll introduce him uh, shortly. But to start off the show, as always, let's uh, do a quick recap of some things going on uh, that are worth talking about in the segment I call What in the World is Going On? In our first clip, we'll be uh, talking a little bit about some important stuff that will be happening later this week in Washington, D.C. The threat, and it's an ongoing threat. You know, we are not in a situation where uh, former President Trump uh, has expressed any sense of remorse about what happened. Uh, We are, in fact, in a situation where he continues to use even more extreme language, frankly, than the language that caused the attack. Uh, And so... People must pay attention. People must watch and and they must understand how easily our democratic system uh, can can unravel if we don't defend it. That is, of course, Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming talking about the upcoming hearings that will begin to broadcast uh, this Thursday in primetime. The committee hearings of the January 6th uh, Congressional uh, Committee looking at uh, the insurrection of of January 6th, uh, 2021. And uh, it's really going to be a really important and interesting uh, experience starting on Thursday as these hearings uh, kick off. There's been a lot of information, of course, that has come out over the last year plus of the congressional investigation uh, into the insurrection of January 6th, 2021. 
And uh, but their promises to be even more uh, to be revealed uh, beginning on Thursday night. And the reason why I think it's important, besides the obvious, is that it'll be really interesting to see to what degree we are really willing to face the truth of what happened and uh, and to how how many of us will be willing to take a look at something that maybe we think was one thing turned out not turned out to be another. It's a it's going to be a collective gut check, I think, on some level for us as a nation on the degree to which we are going to be willing to take a look at this whole thing, honestly, soberly, for lack of a better word, and uh, hopefully make some decisions on what that means for us, uh, because it was clear that this was one of the more significant events in recent American history. And hopefully after these hearings happen, it won't be a harbinger of worse yet to come. But it's a really important thing coming up. I know I, for one, will be paying close attention, and I hope all of you will as well, no matter where you fit on the political spectrum, because what happened that day is bigger than all of those divides in the country, and where we go is even bigger for us and for future generations coming out of this. So uh, very rarely do you know when a really significant series of events is about to happen. They are starting this week. All right, let's take a look uh, at the latest of what's happening in Russia. How brutal has this fight been on this front line? The Russians are using artillery, conventional artillery, missile artillery. They work over the trenches with my units. They hit settlements and civilians too, who didn't do anything to them. What has your worst day been like in these trenches? A direct hit. Four soldiers dead in one strike. His that, of course, a, a embedded reporter with Ukrainian units at the front line in eastern Ukraine in the Donbas region that uh, the fighting continues to rage there between Russia and Ukraine. And essentially the 100-day mark passed last week. Um, a in, in the big scheme of things, not a significant milestone in that 99 days is different than 100 or 101. But nevertheless, a, a large indicator that the war itself uh, has kind of taken on a pattern that will be very difficult for it to break because the longer it goes in this way, the more likely it will continue to do that. And of course, over the last week, uh, not only has Russia lost more generals and more equipment and more soldiers, but uh, Western powers are funneling in even more money, even more arms. The the British just announced they'll be sending in heavy rocket systems uh, to help the Ukrainian army. And a one U.S. uh, commander called for jet fighter planes to be sent to Ukraine as soon as humanly possible. Whether or not that happens is yet to be seen. However, it just indicates that as time goes by and as the war has an effect on international economies, on currency, uh, on whether recessions happen in various places or not, uh, the war takes on bigger meaning. For us in the States, we recognize that the, the, the crash it's had on or the effect it's had on gas prices, for example, in other areas. And it asks us all to ask ourselves a larger question, to what degree are we willing to sustain and put up with some of these inconveniences, which are inconveniences for many of us, but also are not inconveniences for people who don't necessarily have a lot of means in this country. So these are really, really big questions. And again, much like with January 6th, it's in some ways you could say it's a gut check time uh, for all of us. To what degree are we willing to see this bigger conflict or this conflict in Ukraine and Russia as about something bigger than just Ukraine and Russia? I think it's really important for us to keep that in mind, that there are bigger things at play here than just what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. All right, and finally, the last clip, something a little bit more cheerful. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. 
want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. <laughs> and we're off. Several of you asked for it, uh, wanting to hear my review of the new Top Gun Maverick movie. I finally did see it uh, after a couple fits and starts over the weekend. And uh, it's it's good. It's better than it has any right to be, honestly. It was really quite fun. Uh, just enough nostalgia from the first film uh, to make it fun, but it didn't get lost in that. The flying sequences are incredibly well done um, and just jaw-dropping at times. But what surprised me was the emotional heft of the story. There actually was... Uh, some moments in there that of, of real meaning and real poignancy. And if you've seen the original uh, film, the only thing I'll say about it is that Goose looms large in this one. But all the accolades it's getting, a 97% ranking on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 99% from audiences I've never seen before. And it earned every ounce of that. I think it's really a lot of fun. Uh, it's what a b- good blockbuster popcorn movie should be. Plus, it's got a lot of people flying jets in it. Right. So which is exciting. So anyway, that's my review. Uh, All right. Uh, So that's really where that's really where I'm going to end there for today, because I really want to get to the conversation with my my guest today. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is the 78th anniversary of the Allied invasion of Normandy. And three years ago, I was very fortunate uh, to travel with uh, Julia Cannell, who uh, was on the show just a few weeks ago, uh, who is now the executive director of Ask. She wasn't back then. I got to travel with her and um, a guy named Das Valdez, who is a uh, live streamer on Twitch, uh, the gaming platform, and Jay Gaskell, uh, who is the man in studio with me today. Jay was uh, the camera wizard uh, for that day, and we did, uh, what did you say, Jay, 40 hours total of live streaming for these events? Yeah, it was 40 hours of just straight broadcast time, not the time that we were there total. It was specifically the actual time, the amount of footage we got was 40 hours. Right, right. And that, that's Jay. Jay was um, doing the, the live streaming camera work for this event. And essentially, this was what uh, we call a virtual field trip. We decided uh, to pull this together for reasons that we'll, we'll get into to whatever degree we can, to go over there and give as much as we could a real life experience, I guess. Jay, how would you describe what a virtual field trip does? So I would say that a virtual field trip is more of something that immerses you in the location that you're going to in a way that you're not able to do with a large group of people. Okay. So we typically have two, three people, uh, I think four in our case, for, mm-hmm. uh, for a trip over there. But it is really just that. It's, it's a way to take a field trip to a location virtually. Um, you're able to go and experience things that you can't get a bunch of people going up into a mobile service tower at Cape Kennedy where you get to go to the top of a rocket or you can't get everybody to special access to archives of museums or you can't go with an entire classroom to watch pair drops in Normandy, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's, there's a lot of opportunity with it, but then it's just a blast to be able to share that with people in an interactive way because people are also able to interact real time with chat as well. Okay. So it's not just a, here's a video, go watch it. It's a, hey, they're at this location. You can ask them questions while they're there. Mm-hmm. You can suggest things that they might be able to go look at and see or provide information to them if they ask you a question as mm-hmm. well. Like, oh, what's that plane over there, chat? And they'll say, oh, it's such and such plane from such and such year, and it did these missions. And, mm-hmm. oh, this particular one has an interesting history because, and it can go into all that sort of detail, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, which makes it so much different than anything you would watch on TV, a news report, or even a documentary that's been 
you know, filmed and spliced and cleaned up and that type of thing. It provides real world uh, exchanges and communication. Yes. In the moment. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And and clearly you made you made it you made it very clear. You you had done this before before we went to to Normandy. You had been doing this. You're a bit of a space nerd. Is that fair to say? I, I yes. I would say that's <laughs> yeah. I'd say that's accurate. Okay. Um, I'm definitely a bit of a space nerd. In fact, uh, I have been. Uh, not not currently, but for a while, I was seeking to train uh, astronauts specifically for a while. Uh, oh, okay. I've I've done a lot of different types of simulation work and things like that. But uh, yeah, everything from hey, rocket launches are awesome to hey, I wonder how they made this specific feature for this simulator. Like digging into the nitty gritty of the space industry at large and trying to make that more accessible accessible for people gotcha. has been just a wonderful time to uh, to learn more about the industry, but then also uh, seek out. Uh, better access to it as well. Same right. Way. And this is something that you and Das Valdez have done quite a bit. You've done, you've gone to various places. You mentioned a couple of rocket launches. Yeah. Museums. Uh, originally, it actually started as uh, going to rocket launches and broadcasting those. And then it turned into, oh, well, we could go to museums as well because it started at Kennedy Space Center mm-hmm. where, okay, well, there's a visitor center complex there. So we'll go do this rocket launch. But then afterwards, let's go see the Space Shuttle Atlantis, for example, which has a fantastic exhibit. Uh, but then uh, it turned into, oh, well, we could go to a museum. And then things just started to explode from there in mm-hmm. the best possible way. Right. Uh, largely in part to Julia Cannell. Right, right. And that's where you guys connected with her, right? Yes. So, so Das, who has quite a big following on, on Twitch for all of these, was bringing sort of all of that to bear, met Julia. You guys did a couple of things together. And then uh, one day the idea was was hatched to do this. Uh, before we jump into our first break, kind of t- tell tell the story of how you how this all came together from your perspective. Yeah, so uh, Das has uh, we have a mutual friend where they were a NASA intern, and we got access to a uh, typically NASA location where they can go and watch rocket launches from. So Das took all of his camera gear and broadcast equipment, and was able to watch the test launch of the Falcon Heavy rocket. And I was there as well. And then after he finished the broadcast, he's like, well, I have a, a thing that I have to do tomorrow, but I don't know how I'm going to film it alone. And so I walked up and said, well, I've run camera equipment before. I'm familiar with this kind of stuff. Like, I can help you out. And it was literally just that one suggestion of, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. And then we had a good experience with the first one that led to a few other experiences around uh, Cape Canaveral. And then all of a sudden we were going to Evergreen on the West Coast, Evergreen mm-hmm. Aviation and Space Museum. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Several weeks or months after that, it was I got a text of, "Hey, let's go to Europe." <laughs> so that was a fun ex- uh, surprise to have. <laughs> and it was Europe like in six weeks, not like in six months. Yeah, right? yeah, that yeah. was that was the amazing part. I I genuinely asked, "Are you serious? Is, <laughs> is this a joke?" Right, <laughs> right. You and I had similar experiences that way because clearly Doss and Julia had talked about this idea of going and doing a virtual field trip for the seventy fifth anniversary. Of the D-Day uh, invasion. Yes. And so you got that call. I got a very similar call, except I got it from from Julie. It says, hey, do you want to go be the subject matter expert for a virtual field trip in Normandy for the 75th? And I said, I'm happy to go. What's a virtual field trip? <laughs> uh, and, and it turned out to be, I know, speaking, I, you know, I hesitate to speak for you, but I will in this. It was life-changing for both of us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. when we come back from our first break, uh, let's, let's dig into what we were doing over there, what that was like, and your experience sort of being behind the camera and bringing this to life for everybody. All right. So we'll be back in just a minute with Jay Gaskell on This Show is All About You. Stick around, everybody. 
kids never have trouble dreaming about their future, the challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I dot org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everybody, to This Show Is All About You. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin, and this week uh, with me is Jay Gaskell, uh, photographer, space nerd, uh, virtual field trip leader extraordinaire. Uh, and we're talking about our trip three years ago, literally today, this week, uh, to Normandy for the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasions, which today, of course, is the 78th anniversary. And it was an effort to bring that all those celebrations, all those commemorations, uh, and the close-up looks at the equipment, the individuals, the locations, to as many people around the world as possible live uh, via the internet uh, in ways that are, are very different than what network TV uh, can really do. And before the break, we left off saying it was a really life-changing uh, moment for both of us. And this is where you and I met, Jay, was yeah. was at this. And so uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, what we did over there and uh, what we ended up doing. So I'll, I'll lay it out. We did, I believe we did three days in both locations, right? We did three days in England at Duxford, which uh, was a RAF airfield during the Second World War, is now one of the locations of the Imperial War Museum. And they brought... Uh, C-47s and DC-3s, aircraft that played a very significant role in the airborne assaults on D-Day. They brought as many from the world together as they could. I've, what was it, 3 to 3? I, I, I don't remember the exact number, but I know it was the largest collection that had been together since D-Day. Since D-Day, yeah. right, including um, a plane that was the first one to fly across the channel. That's all brother yes. uh, that we got to take a good look at. So we spent three days there, and then we moved across the channel uh, to uh, Normandy, and took the train down there and got down there and uh, filmed in various locations. Saw one of the celebratory uh, commemorative parachute drops on the eastern side of the Normandy attack zone. Went to uh, Aeromanche in the middle of uh, the attack zone on June 6th, three years ago today. Went to Omaha Beach and the American Cemetery in there and a lot in between. So just to kind of lay that out for everybody. And by the way, if you want to see uh, the footage of all this, you can check it out at airsci.org. There are links there to all of the YouTube channels where all of this stuff is, so you can see all this on your own. So, Jay, what was this like for you? Like, let's talk a little bit about the experience of uh, being behind the camera. What are you thinking about when you are filming? You're seeing something yourself for the first time. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's honestly one of the one of the more challenging parts of it is particularly with those those huge moments. I mean, we saw 200 plus paratroopers drop out of planes uh, over Normandy, and that's not something you typically see every day. So uh, the biggest thing for me is to share the experience. Like as as a camera operator, I want to make sure that everybody is able to experience as much of what's around as possible um, while focusing on the most important bits. Like obviously, um, there is there's a nice time to have a sense of place where it's like, oh, we're in a quiet French village and we're enjoying our time here. But then all of a sudden the planes are flying over. So, you know, obviously you have to focus on the planes themselves. But really just sort of trying your best to make people feel like they are there mm-hmm. um, and that you can interact with them and everybody can have uh, a, a chance to be there in a way that they wouldn't otherwise have because whether they live around the world or they don't, they aren't financially able to make it there, whatever the case is, it's a chance to bring that to them right to their own, their own home computers or phones or whatever they have um, anytime. Right. And, and to me, this was the mind blowing part of this. I knew nothing about what virtual field trips were before I met you. I didn't even know what Twitch was before I met you. And I remember being blown away at one point at Duxford first or second day at the number of people from the number of locations around the world who were watching yeah. All of this. It was in North America. It was throughout Europe. It was in Asia. It was in Australia. It was in Africa. Yeah. South America. Mm-hmm. Literally almost every continent on the planet was touched. I don't think we had anybody from Antarctica. You know, no, not that I know in. of. Not that we know of, <laughs> but nevertheless. But it was, that to me was what was remarkable. And we we had a real fortunate experience in that, um, you know, those of you who remember Julia's uh, uh, episode a while back uh, might remember that she's very much a go-getter. And uh, she was doing a lot of wrangling uh, for this, kind of going from various locations ahead of us. I was the subject matter expert on anything historical, uh, while Jay and Doss, and Doss did a lot of the interviewing and a lot of all that. And uh, Julie was running out ahead, pulling, you know, pulling people in. And somehow on the, the first day, I think, we, the first full day of broadcasting, we ended up on the other side of the flight line. Oh, yes. <laughs> from everybody else. They, they kept the numbers down to 10,000 people who could attend this event. So we were among those four. We were the only people with a camera set up who got on that side of the fence to get out onto the flight line where the planes were. Talk a little bit about, about that, given a sense of what we were actually doing out there. So just really quickly, a, a fast aside is that uh, I'd like to mention that Julia is a miracle worker, <laughs> uh, which was clearly evident on this entire trip because mm. we got access to places we never thought we would. Right. Including the flight line where uh, we were able to just walk across the taxiway and then here's this line of C-47s and DC-3s, some of mm-hmm. which were actually running the mission on D-Day. Mm-hmm. And we were able to go over there and just talk with crews and go inside of planes. And we... <laughs> Uh, miraculously, um, were able to stay in a plane for four hours while some rain passed, mm-hmm. uh, and we watched some engine tests over there, mm-hmm. and got to just kind of genuinely enjoy ourselves while also sharing that experience with other people through the power of the internet. Yeah, and it was incredible to be able to watch C forty sevens and DC threes land from under the wing of another <laughs> DC three, <laughs> right, and not having to point the camera over the heads of people you know, like you see so often at air shows yes. and that type of thing. Uh, I, I remember at one point they, they gave us one of the crews that was giving you guys really in-depth access into the cockpit, under the engine, during the engine test. They said, oh, you guys are going to be here a while. Here's some, here's some lawn chairs. They gave us some lawn chairs to sit in. And so there's a group of us sitting under the wing of a DC-3, and it starts raining. And we look out, and we're the only people other than the crews for the planes that were out there. It was, yep. it was just incredible. And there was 
One story I'll never forget too is there was the one day you were filming with Dossie in the cockpit of a of a C forty seven, and uh, pilot Gene Vizzetti was telling, giving a step by step what happens if an engine goes out. Yep. You know, whole thing. And then the very next day, what happened while you were filming? The very next day, uh, the aircraft were taking off in flying formations, and they were doing all their practices and tests. And we watched a plane uh, pull away from the rest of the formation, and we're like, okay, that's a little odd. So we continued to watch it, and then. Thankfully, the camera that I had had a lot of zoom, so I was able to see, hang on, one of those propellers isn't turning. There's only two engines on this aircraft. That's a problem, obviously. <laughs> and we were able to watch it circle all the way around the airfield and come in on a one-engine landing after the day before Gene had t- told us exactly why the DC-3 was able to do that so easily and uh, walked us through how it actually landed on one engine. And so we were able to splice those two together in a more mm-hmm. traditional format, right. uh, which is sort of the benefit of of that content is that we can provide that experience of having this interactive real time whole day event shared with everybody who wants to watch. But then after the fact, we can go through and cut it up into more traditional media of, okay, well, people may not have watched all of one day or all of the other day, but they can see that even though these are two different days, we can splice them together Mm -hmm. and make it into this more traditional media that people are used to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's su- such a unique look that that really does replicate had they been there themselves to be able to have that same conversation, see the same thing. Yeah, that was that to me was truly amazing, just that, that it happened that way. Yeah. And and of course, you know, that you tend to get overwhelmed by the historical significance of what you're seeing in some of these airplanes, you know, literally were in the battle, you know, uh, that type of thing. Uh, so for you, uh, you know, you're, you're having to pay attention to like when you say you have to kind of. You're the you're the viewer, yes. more or less. Yeah. So you're having to film, but you're also your attention has to be kind of moving around too, doesn't it? Especially at airfields, mm-hmm. uh, turns out, because as soon as we started filming the first day, which is subsequently about the time that we met you for the first time, yeah, was on the taxiway, <laughs> and right. we had just started up our gear, and we're like, oh, oh, hey, there, there he is. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Let's all get together. And yeah. Uh, but then shortly thereafter, all the planes started coming in for landings. Mm-hmm. So I was focusing ahead a little bit to make sure that everybody was in view for the camera. Uh, but then, especially in the instance, like I said, of a, uh, an airfield, you have to keep your head on a swivel and look around for those opportunities to share the experience with people. Because it's not just, hey, let's look at these hosts and presenters and whatever. It's also, we're here the whole day. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going for eight hours or whatever it is. I want to make sure that everybody has a sense of the space. Mm-hmm. And so being able to offer the opportunity of, Yes, we're doing an interview or just a discussion, but then if it's at a point where we aren't completely focused on the discussion, if we're just walking around a plane, it's completely viable to look and watch an aircraft land or especially a historical aircraft. Um, Being able to provide that sense of place, I think, is really important to change it up from being more traditional media where Mm -hmm. it's just, okay, we're going to have this interview at this time and then another interview right after, and then we're going to leave and go home. Mm -hmm. It, It provides that opportunity to feel as close as you can to being there. Man, that, does that feel like a big responsibility when you're in that position? Are you aware of that? I'm, I'm aware of it. I always think of myself as a window in that instance. But the way that Das and I have been able to work together in the past, it's become a lot less formal. So it's not a, it's not a ton of pressure. It's more of a, hey, this is fun. This is a cool experience. Oh, there's a neat thing over there. I want to look at that. And that's resonated really well with the audience that we've built so far because we've been able to adapt to their desires as well. For example, if we're at a museum looking at, let's say, a rocket, and we're just kind of walking around, and then we see like a, a, a plate on the side of something, 
we found out that in the past, uh, well, while we are nerds as broadcasters, our viewers also are largely nerds. And they go, <laughs> hey, wait, what's on that plate? Zoom in on that plate. Let me see what it says. Let me get the serial number so I can learn about this thing. And it mm-hmm. just sort of branches very quickly from there into, oh, we're learning so much more about this thing because you know exactly what it is, even mm-hmm. if we don't. Right. And they can be looking up on their home computers while yeah. we're all walking around. That was the other amazing thing, too, is when we needed information that DOS always insists be verified, documented yes. yep. information. So Wikipedia doesn't count. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, they can deliver that for us. So, like, I remember when we were at Normandy, we, we really needed somebody to put up a map of the landing zones. Mm-hmm. We didn't have one with us, and we wanted everybody who was watching to get a visual sense of where we were. So what happens is somebody finds this battle map, I believe from the University of Texas uh, map collection, which is very verifiable as authoritative, pulled it up and had it available so that people awesome. could see it. I know, it was incredible. <laughs> just fantastic. I mean, just th- just that type of thing. And so the, to me, as a, you know, a kind of a traditional historian who you go to conferences, you watch movies or you watch lectures, that was all very contained. And this is so connected by comparison. Yeah. Because, you know, because you have that interaction going on. You have real life questions being answered. Mm-hmm. I mean, where else can you be doing something and get a question from Texas and then right behind it, a question from Taiwan? Yeah. It's, it's the power of community, honestly, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's it's not even just questions. It's providing the information. It's because everything feels less formal. Everybody feels more free to chime in mm-hmm. and say, oh, actually, my grandpa served on that aircraft carrier or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And being able to provide additional stories on top of that, yeah. So it's it's people from literally all over the globe coming together over this this content that we're all experiencing at the same time. Oh yeah. So while there is some pressure, it it just feels like a big community effort. It's it's not just like it weighs all on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. It's just hey, we're here to share this with everybody together because yeah. everybody contributes in some way. And it was really remarkable for me to I'm I was so used to delivering information through those more traditional channels, and so to be I, I was having fun within minutes because, uh, you know, people asking questions that, you know, DOS would turn to me or you'd turn to me and I would just be able to answer it. And at first I was like, oh, man, I better be up on this and I better get used to being able to say, I don't know. Let me look into that and yep. I'll get back to you. Yep. Uh, and we had to do that a lot right? because right? because things were moving, you know, moving pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, yeah. So this I'm remembering how fun this was. <laughs> Isn't it easy? I mean, we're both sitting here grinning like crazy. Cause oh, it was absolutely. It was really fun. And. Um, and to be able to deliver that and to bring that to people, um, you know, it's it's something that you, I mean, as a space nerd, me as an aviation guy and a historian, and and Julia as a big advocate for bringing, introducing aviation and aerospace to as many people as possible. The joy and the fun and the possibility of it was really manifest in all of that. And that's sort of what made it exciting. And I think the my experience of it is I think the people who were paying attention got energized by that too. Yeah. And it just made the quality better as the week went on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of the things that I, we, we don't even like to call them interviews on virtual field trips. It's just discussions mm-hmm. because that by making it informal, it makes everyone more comfortable. Um, within, I see it all the time when we have what would traditionally be called an interview. But when we have a talk with somebody, I see it all the time. Their body language, they're a little more stiff. They're ready for a formal interview. But then we get into talking with them and start taking questions from chat. And they're like, oh, this is just a fun talk. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, this is fantastic. Let's okay, let's go with this. Now we're just having a fun discussion and right. so much more information opens up from that because in that sort of more formal mindset, people seem to tend to more of like the brochure version of like, oh, well, this aircraft served in these years and it ran this mission. 
But then if you get into an informal discussion, it turns into, oh, well, this pilot did this crazy thing. And then they continue to fly and got all these medals or you know, whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. All these more fun stories come out of it rather than just being this formal sort of uh, reciting of, of museum billboards, essentially. Right, right. Essentially going step by step, yeah. reading the plaque, looking at the plane, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So much more organic that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, the, you know, so the nerd side of us aviation wise really fed off of what was happening in England. And then when we went across the, across the channel to France, um, it kind of, it kind of shifted in the sense that, um, the history of it and the, the enormity of what had gone on really began to become even more palpable yeah, absolutely. than it had been in England. There was some, there's something about being there. And that was, that was your first time there to Normandy, yes. right? And yeah. it was my third time. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been there a few times. One of the reasons why I was asked to come do this thing is I'd been there before, could take everybody around. And uh, that became um, quite an experience on a personal level uh, for all of us, I know. So, yeah. But before we jump into that, let's go ahead and take our second break really quickly, and then we'll focus on that for the last part of our time together. So uh, stick around, everybody. Come back and hear a little bit more about what it was like watch, walking the beaches of Normandy Uh, on the 75th anniversary here on This Show is All About You. Come on back. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor This Show is All About You because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to This Show is All About You, here with Jay Gaskell talking about the virtual field trip that he and I were fortunate enough to be a part of three years ago today uh, out in Normandy for the 75th anniversary back then of the D-Day invasion uh, that began the liberation of Europe, at least from the West, at the end of World War II. Uh, fairly important event. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Big scheme of things. Yeah. So okay. so we talked before the break about our time in Duxford, England, looking at all the uh, the airplanes that were gathered together uh, for the commemoration. So we'll spend the rest of our time talking about the, the significance of what we experienced uh, in France. And, and you know, just to set it for everybody, when the invasion happened in uh, on June 6, 1944, the Allies assaulted uh, a beachfront about along the Normandy coast of France that they broke into five uh, beach zones. The most famous for most American ears is the section called Omaha, uh, Omaha Beach, but there were others. Uh, the Americans were at Utah and uh, Omaha Beach and British Canadian forces we're at the other sword, Juno, and gold uh, were the other ones. And so uh, we certainly couldn't cover everything that we wanted to uh, necessarily. Uh, but we, we hit some really important events. And I know we specifically want to make sure we talk about Omaha Beach. But one of the pl- first places we went to was uh, that really shows the power of this kind of crowdsourcing, if you will, 
was we ended up in the eastern section, one of the British zones, pulled in just as a commemorative paratrooper drop was happening. And, and tell everybody about how we found out this was even happening, where we knew where to go. So our last day in Duxford, before we had even gone down to France, we had uh, an, an interview or discussion with some paratroopers. Um, and I, I think they all, the, I know specifically the one we talked to was actually a paratrooper from the U.S. Right and now, he was, currently. Yeah, yeah currently, yeah. yes. Um, and he was going to be taking part in, in the event, which is going to be a pair drop of 200 plus pair paratroopers dropping out of C-47 to DC-3s. Mm-hmm. So we were talking with him in Duxford, and we had, even before that discussion, had no idea where we were going to be going the next day. But in fact, most of the days, we didn't know exactly what was going to be happening the next yeah, day. Yeah, kind of planned it out as we went. Yeah, exactly. And so we had this discussion with him, and he said, specifically, go to this town, go to this part of it, there's going to be pair drops to the west. And so we did exactly that thing. We went to that town. I think it was Randville, France. Yes. Yeah, Randville, France. And then we, uh, as we were driving into town, paratroopers were dropping out of C-130s. So it was sort of a, an event before the main event. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were literally filming in the van as we were trying to find a parking spot, just like <laughs> looking out the windows and yeah. trying to get views. And it was because we just happened to talk to the right person the day before. Mm-hmm. Like we hadn't had any information prior. Uh, we had heard there were going to be paradrops all over France. Yep. And so we didn't know specific, specifically where we were going to go until we talked to that one paratrooper. And then had the experience of seeing guys jump out of the airplanes we had been climbing around. Yes. Just a few days before on the other side of the channel. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. We you know, we had talked about, in Duxford, we had talked about wanting to get a ride in one of those oh, planes. Man, yeah. But honestly, I'm really glad that we didn't because then mm-hmm. we got to see all of the paratroopers drop out. Otherwise, we would have seen, you know, 12 people jump out of a plane, which is cool. Don't right. get me wrong. But we got to see 200 plus jump out of planes mm-hmm. flying overhead right next to a French village in an open field as it would have been on, on the day, except obviously it was daytime, not nighttime. Mm-hmm. And it was the first town, by the way, that was put under assault by the Allies on D-Day. Yeah. So they, it wasn't just some random town. It was the first one assaulted that day. And so we started out that that way, again, because of just the people we happened to talk to. All right. Yep. So we did that, and then the next day, which was actually D-Day's 75th anniversary, we decided to not go to Omaha Beach because there, of course, were tons of events going on yep. with heads of state from around the world going to be at Omaha Beach. So we said, let's save that for the day after. So we ended up at Aeromanche, which was right in the middle of Gold Beach, the Gold Beach landing zone, right in the middle of Normandy. And we went there, and we ended up doing something a little differently. We ended up being stationary pretty much for the whole day. Yeah, we were we were there for... Five plus hours at least. Um, and most of those hours was sitting on top of a German bunker on the hillside. <laughs> Part of the Atlantic Wall yep. defenses that were shooting out into the water that day. Yep. We had uh, started out from our parking area with just a backpack with all of our gear in it and a camera on my shoulder, a very small camera, uh, to start out. And we walked through the town trying to find a place that we wanted to end up. And then eventually we saw this hillside with its bunker on it. We're like, let's go up there. That's probably a good spot. Mm-hmm. And then we walk up to the top of the hill, get on top of the bunker and find out, oh, there's the BBC and all these other news stations that are already set up. And there's, oh, there's a spot right here for us. Just happens to be open <laughs> uh, right here with the public. And we just needed a backpack and a, and a camera. Yeah. Whereas yeah. they have a whole rig. All of them have huge oh, yeah. rigs. Yeah. Van, they had vans and they had antennas on their vans and this huge setup. They had a tent and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we took out a tripod, put it down, put the camera on it and turned it on and we were actually still streaming the whole time because I had a camera on my shoulder and then we just switched the cable. <laughs> so we were still live that whole time. And you know, it was funny because they were the same people that had been over at Duxford yeah. 
and probably had seen us out there wandering around underneath. They aren't getting that access. Nope. Right. And so, yeah, several of them, actually several BBC guys came over to take a look. We were handing out little slips of paper (laughs) saying what we were doing. And we told them what we were doing. And they had looks of both like, oh, man, I wish I was doing that. And then also they're kind of scooping us. (laughs) (laughs) It was just interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's such a it's such a different way of doing things, but it's super powerful that way. And of course, we saw the celebration Mm -hmm. of that day, which I know was really kind of a a landmark thing for you to experience, right? Yeah. So uh, obviously, so I'm I'm from a small town in Kansas originally. And uh, I think like a lot of Americans, I grew up with, you know, traditional education here. And uh, our viewpoint of D-Day is very solemn. It's Omaha Beach. Yeah. You think of movies. You think of what you've learned in history class. There's just this sort of solemn aura around it. But then... We were there in this French town and everybody was celebrating. There were parades and everybody was jubilant and enjoying Mm -hmm. themselves because that was the start of their liberation. Yeah. And that was a thing that we saw all over the place over there. But especially being there on the day, seeing that celebration was just such, it, it had a huge impact on me because it wasn't just oh, it's this solemn, terrible day. And obviously lots of terrible things happened, but mm-hmm. it was also the start of something wonderful, which yes. was being liberated. For those people living there, yes. which, which was incredible because the whole town of Aramash was full. Yeah. This, the streets were full. People were out with their, with their drinks, with their ice cream. Yep. There were, of course, people dressed up in full regalia, like uniforms of, of soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were trucks, um, you know, historical trucks painted like they were freshly yep. off the assembly line, rumbling through town. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, it was like stepping back in time, wasn't it? Yeah, and that was all over Normandy too. Yeah, like, especially in that town, but all over Normandy, we would be driving to the next place to to broadcast, and we would see trucks and and tanks and whatever armored vehicles, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, uh, and on the beaches, it it was like you said, like stepping back in time and driving through the hedgerow country where you knew that in the field to the, to the left of you or to the right of you or ahead of you, there was a really good chance back 75 years ago, there were people shooting at each other across those fields, dying in those fields, you know, um, trying to break out of, of, of Normandy. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really powerful thing. And I'd been there a few times and it was really interesting to watch the rest of you guys, you know, experience this for, the first time, but that celebratory piece was, was also really interesting for me. I had been there not at times when the anniversary was approaching. So that was the first time I'd seen that too. Mm-hmm. And it was this reminder. It was like, oh man, for us, it's a big historical event for these people. It was a big life event. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was crazy. And then of course the end of that day, you guys got to do something really fun that I think illustrates the power of VFTs better than just about anything else. Yeah. So I had mentioned previously that we had spent most of the time up on a German bunker next to mm-hmm. other news crews. And then after several hours, we're like, okay, let's go walk around. So we picked up our gear and walked away. <laughs> we didn't have to worry about a news van or anything. We just right. walked into the town. Uh, we ended up down on the beach looking at some of the mulberries, which is the uh, artificial harbors yeah. that were used. And so we were looking at that and then enjoyed walking around a little more. We had a helicopter fly over us. That was nice. I don't think the BBC got that. Uh, <laughs> but then we got to uh, start walking back up into the town and we were walking off of the beach up this ramp. And then this Jeep starts to pull up and I'm just getting footage of it because they're in period garb. It's a, a Willie's Jeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's all decked out like it would have been on the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm just filming it with the camera and they kind of pull up and look at me and I'm looking at them. And then <laughs> this older gentleman in the back seat goes, want to come? <laughs> and points at the Jeep. And I start to go, oh no, we have to go. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, hang on. No, no, no. <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> I was like, do you have one seat or two? 
Yeah, because you need two to yeah. take DOS. Right? right, yes. So, yeah, because DOS is our host. And, uh, yeah, we, we got into a Willys Jeep and got to drive around the beaches of Normandy with a French father and son who were in period garb because they liked the history of it. They liked mm-hmm. that period of history and uh, being able to meet veterans and just share their love of of the, I mean, the entire event, really. But mm-hmm. just it was so incredible to be able to experience it with them in a way, just have this joyous ride down the beach. Yeah. And then come back and continue what we had been doing previously. And the kid was driving. Yeah, the kid was driving. Yeah, he was. <laughs> About the age these soldiers would have been. Yeah, 17, yeah. 18, somewhere around mm-hmm. there, which was sort of a stark reminder of, oh, no, yeah, this is the right age. Yeah. Uh, but and yeah. Were we, kids. Yeah, and, and we were only able to do that because of the gear that we had. We didn't have a giant news van. We just had a backpack and a camera. Yeah. And we were still live streaming to the internet. And everybody online, because there's this interactive chat element, were going crazy. Yeah. Because they're like, is this happening right now? Right. What's going on? Right. Yeah, so that was that was wild. And and again, you can watch all of this material if you go over to Airway Science for Kids, their website. If you go to their website, there are links to uh, the YouTube channel they have that has all of these things, and you can just look it up. It's right there. Um, you can take a look at that. So you can watch the Jeep ride. And we're not talking about a camera that's just your, your iPhone pointed at things. We're talking about a very professional-grade broadcast in all of this, right? And it comes and it comes across that way. Okay, so, you know, I want to make sure that we get to the next day. Yes. You know, and the next day we we went out to Omaha Beach and I did the best I could to prepare all of you. Um, it is a very powerful place to go. Yes. Um, Omaha Beach was the was the location of the worst carnage on D-Day. Um, Allied forces suffered the most there. Prim- primarily it was an American landing zone. And so a number of Americans were killed. And of course, if you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, that takes place on Omaha Beach. And at the American cemetery there is built right at the top of the hill, right where American forces finally broke off of the beach that morning and got up above the German defenses and were able to, to clear that area. And so that whole, you know, multi-acre, it's a huge place. And it's a, I, yeah, I, it's enormous. I warned you about all of that. And so the first thing we did was walk the beach. Uh, and, you know, and I'd done that before, and I ended up kind of leaving you guys to, you and, and Doss to go walk. What was that like? We watched the, walked the entire mile and a half, almost two mile length of Omaha Beach to start. What was that like for you? So it, it was... Uh, it was as if we were transported back there in a way, obviously not literally, mm-hmm. but the, the weather that day was similar to the conditions yeah. it would have been. The tide was and, too. Yeah, the tide was too. Mm-hmm. So we got a sense of how far they really had to run. And uh, I mean, a, a lot of it was just kind of walking up the full length of it going, this is so far. This is such a long beach mm-hmm. to have combat the full stretch of it. Yeah. And something that you don't ever get a sense of from movies, videos, anything is how tall the bluffs are. Yes. Like even in Saving Private Ryan, which everybody lauds as one of the best representations of, of Omaha Beach, it it doesn't feel like it's the right scale. The bluffs are enormous. Yeah. It might as well feel like you're trying to climb over a mountain. Yeah. If you're being yeah, shot it, at. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. It feels exactly like that. Like yeah. I go hiking all the time. It feels exactly the same. And being able to walk that the beach first and then we went, uh, I mean, there was a thicket of, of brush, which I think has grown since then, yeah. but mm-hmm. still just the... The images that come to mind as you're walking up the beach are a are the exact opposite of the day before, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, it's this celebration, and then all of a sudden, it's we are remembering mm-hmm. the sacrifices that were made here. Yeah, and we walked that beach multiple times, mm-hmm. and then went up to the cemetery. Yeah, which was its own experience. I, I remember on the beach being marveling at how difficult it must have been to run in that sand. Yes, and then to hit loose sand. Yeah. First the wet, thick sand, mm-hmm. and then loose sand in a gully. 
Yep. Right. And then hit the mountainside, right? Hit the bluff side, which it, it's still amazing to me that anybody got off that beach alone. Yeah. Right. All right. So, yeah. So we went up to the cemetery then. And this was maybe the most poignant moment of the entire trip. Uh, we got up there, and of course, they were still, re- you know, taking down all the stuff from the ceremonies the day before. There were a lot of people there. And something really interesting happened with the chat with the community that, as we, we, because we decided to go in, we had permission to film, which very few people got. Yes. And, so then take us through what was this, what this was like. So we specifically wanted to do a silent walkthrough. So we weren't going into the cemetery saying like, hey, everybody, we're at the cemetery, like any of that. Yeah. It was just, we let everybody know beforehand, we will not be talking during this. Mm-hmm. And then everybody in chat, we had at one point thousands of people watching and everybody was being respectful. Everybody was so thankful of the footage that we were able to get. Mm-hmm. And just, they, they just sat there and experienced it with us. And you were walking down between these rows that stretch on for a really long way. For a really, really long way. Thousands of gravestones. Yeah, yeah. you see overhead shots sometimes of of the cemetery and you think, wow, that's a lot of gravestones. Then you walk down the rows and the rows and the rows of gravestones and Mm -hmm. it just becomes overwhelming. Everyone has a name. Yes. They all have the name of the person there, their rank, the day they were killed, and where they're from in the world. And we and, saw all 50 states. Yeah, absolutely. So all 50 states. And that was the gravestones. Then there's another area that has a wall of those that went missing as well. So that's, that's right. not even representative of everyone. Yeah. So it, it becomes this genuinely emotionally overpowering experience because we walked to the beach. We saw what they had to, to go through or at least physically the geography that was there. And then we had to go up to the cemetery. I say had to. We went up to the cemetery and experienced that. And it was just crushing. Yeah. Really. I remember walking behind you and Doss and kind of seeing that. And I remember you guys getting to the end of the row, which took forever. Yeah. And everybody was quiet on chat. And then yep. I, the two of you turned around and you were both just wrecked. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just tears ha- down my face. Yeah, and something important happened right then. Yeah, and so I, I, I assume, at least from, from my side at least, I, I had a very strong bonding moment with Doss because I was just fried. I got to the end of the rows and could barely think. I was just, there's so many. The, that's the, the thought that kept going through my head was there's so many of them. There's mm-hmm. so many. And I got to the end of the row and I just kind of stopped like a robot. And Das grabbed my shoulder, turned me around, and then like put me down on one knee so I could get a shot of a gravestone. And a single the, one. Yeah, a single one. One single one. Name, everything on there. And that was exactly what I needed. I needed that moment to go, okay, yeah, all right, we're here for a job. Like this is, mm-hmm. we still, we need to share this with everyone. I need to not just be lost in it too much. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't to dismiss the moment. It was just to make sure that everyone was able to have that moment with us. Right. And that's the incredible part of it, right? Yeah. Thousands of people came along for that. Yeah. Thousands of people took that walk, more or less. Yep. Thousands of people got to see all those individual names and the flags, Mm -hmm. right? And hear the footsteps and see how long this took. Yeah. And when we got to the end of it, it was a really profoundly strong experience um, that I know changed all of us, but was so important that we were able to broadcast that in a way that nobody else was really able to do. We've looked for the three years since. Nobody else did that. Nope. You know, so there's the only videos out there from those days that actually uh, was doing that. And of course, a little lighter moment to wrap up. Uh, later in the day, we were so tired, we ended up finding a snack bar and sat down for about an hour to just kind of collect our thoughts and our emotions. 
And about 900 people decided to watch us have a snack. Yeah, we were having a snack. And then some, <laughs> I think it was Spitfires or Mustangs, flew by on the beach. It was, it was a really good way to sort of decompress, which I think literally everyone, not just us there yeah. in person, but even Chad and Everybody as well, because it was, it was a very heavy day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it just underscored the power of all this. And I know it really stood out to all of us. And we had all these hours to, to, do, to do. And they've gotten a lot of views on the internet yeah. um, uh, for the last three years. Right. If you want, again, if you want to see these again, go to uh, airside.org. Click on the uh, YouTube link there and it'll take you right to the organization's YouTube channel. All of those things are there for you to see. You can see the Jeep ride. You can see the walk through the, the, uh, air f- uh, the, the cemetery, all those things. Jay, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks and, for having and me. Talking about it. Absolutely. So uh, to all of you, I will be posting later this week on wordsbyjdk.com some of these links as well as some other pictures and that type of thing to give you a little bit more context. You can contact me there for any uh, questions that you have. Uh, if you missed this or any other episodes, you can download it as a podcast from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or for wherever, you, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, this show is all about you. is produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Rader is the... Eric Ryder, excuse me, is the new in-studio producer, editor, mix master. The show is made possible, again, by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids at airside.org. Original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. And special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week. That has to go to Julia Cannell, Jay Gaskell, and Nicole Branch. Tawny and Dave Santabria, Mark and Yolanda Frazier, Bruce Bullard, Dr. Busy Riley, Emily McFetrich, Stacey Heller, Melissa Reeves, Justin Park, Robin McClung, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. So thanks for joining us. And finally, as a way to send you off into the rest of the week, let's end the show with this original haiku. Streaming to the world, the best of what we can do elevates us all. Chins up, everyone. <laughs>